It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Stat Hero, the first ever daily fantasy sports book that gives the player the advantage. Go to stathero.com slash locked on for 300% back on your first play. And of course, we've got a great episode for you. It's the preview ahead of the matchup. Game three, Brooklyn Nets traveling to Milwaukee, looking to take an even more dominant, commanding control of the series. We obviously highlight the injury updates or lack thereof around James Harden and Jeff Green, but then really expand beyond it to say the value of being up in a series and how that affords you the opportunity to be patient with any of the superstars or role player injuries as well. We also get into the coaching comparison and the adjustments that could go on between these two teams, between these two head coaches, and ultimately in this series. How do you set the expectations for what needs to happen? And when it doesn't go well for you, like in the case of the Milwaukee Bucks, when do you start to just pull out the kitchen sink and throw everything you can at it? We get into it, we break it down, we chop it up for you on a great episode coming up right after the theme music. You are Locked On Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Nets podcast and the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I'm Doug Norrie, owner, operator, DFSR.com. If you need a projection, you can head on over there. Got you covered. Basketball, baseball, hockey, the list goes on. And over there is Adam Armbrecht, the voice of the Brooklyn Nets on Sportscaster, also the host of the One Giant Podcast. He's covering the New York football Giants with Andy Max, who's got New York on lock. Buddy, how are we doing heading into game three? That's it, man. These these two days off in between. It's just, it's a, it's a day too much for me. I know that it's about the health of the players and keeping them fresh, but the, the two-day delay at coming yeah. off of that type of performance from Brooklyn, all you want is more, right? It's like sitting down at Thanksgiving dinner, and then your aunt comes over and just pulls away the turkey. Like I wasn't, I, I could grab another thigh here. I can get another leg in my mouth before you slip them underneath me. So I'm, I'm excited that it's finally coming up here that we're going to get into the game three action. And I think because it's the first game now on the road in this series for the Brooklyn Nets, there is a renewed sense of of curiosity and expectations around. Obviously, what are the Nets going to do from our perspective? But how are the Bucks going to quote bounce back from those first two games? Yeah, this is a totally pivotal game. Game threes usually um, are like this, especially when they start off 2-0 because they become these quasi-must-win games for the team that's down, that's heading back uh, into into their home court. And so you get this, there's, all, there's again, like a renewed sense of urgency around, 
specifically the team that's down, right? And um, just have to come out with a, a totally different energy because you just need to save your series. I mean, l- look, you can come back from 3-0. It's just statistically much more difficult, right? <laughs> so with every game that passes, uh, that's just where we get. So I do think, um, you know, we're going to preview the game a little bit, talk about some injuries here, but just on a, just on a high level, the the part where I think the Nets fans need to be prepared for a Bucks team that looks different tonight than maybe they've looked in the first two games, right? <laughs> because this is they're playing for their season. I mean, the coach is playing for his job. If we're just being very honest, uh, the, or you know, coaching for his job, uh, this is probably this could be Coach Bud's last stand here. If they're not able to get through this, if they're not able to get through this, uh, the series, it's the end of his job. So I think the stakes for Brooklyn, excuse me, the stakes stakes for Milwaukee are much higher, and I think Nets fans need to be prepared for, yeah, we rolled them in the first two, well, first game and a half, basically, but um, the series kind of starts again tonight, if, if that's the way to put it. Yeah, and it's funny, too, because, I mean, listen, this will be year two or three or whatever of, of Bud and the Bucks and the expectations and maybe not meeting them, but I, I think that things look and feel a lot different for them and for him if... It was not you could have lost the first two games, maybe, but the way in which you lost the second game or the way that the series goes overall, you could probably lose this series against this Brooklyn Nets team and come out of it saying, boy, the luck of the draw or the unlucky draw that we had to face them in the second round. But because you go down 0-2, because Harden has been out for the first two games, like all of those things are now mounting. And to your point, you know, we just why I just watched the uh the Phoenix Suns go up 2-0 in their series as well like when you get to a point if you're the Denver Nuggets if you're the Milwaukee Bucks as much as the Nets have had success in these first two games and as good as things everything seems to be working for them you know that there there's gonna be a game and most likely you would assume it's game three because if not then maybe it's a four game sweep but if the Bucks are going to show up and give you the best version, and you know, and if the Nets are maybe going to be a little bit lackadaisical to start a game and let let the the Giannis's and Middletons of the world get rolling early, this is going to be it. So there, there there is a world where the Nets lose this one by ten or fifteen points or something because it's a throwaway game. I'm not saying that's my expectations, but series always have this vibe, especially when one team puts out a dominant performance in game two like that when it's back you know back against the wall kind of time. This is where there's always that seems to be that throwaway game for the team that wins the series because, as you said at the top, season on the line for them, I think it's something like over 90% of the time, teams that go up 2-0 win the series. So, And it's not like players don't have that in their minds. That This is the reality check here. We now need to go win four out of these next handful of games. Like We have to win our next two home games. Then we got to go back to Brooklyn. we got to win another one. We have to win three straight here at some point to get ourselves back into the series. That's a heavy lift at, at any point of the season or the playoffs. Yeah, totally. I, I'm like that's, and that's, it's, why the, it's, it's simultaneously why um, the series are seven games, right? Because like you don't want to have it be one and done, but it's also why in, in the, this greater sense of things, the better team almost always wins a seven game series because it's seven games right like you give mm-hmm. you give the, the amount of time is what gives you to make sure that there's no sort of like one game upset 
right? Like NCAA style, which is the better way to do it, by the way. Um, but it's also why like things sort of ebb and flow because it is a lot of games. But in the end, the better team comes out and wins. And I mean, clearly the first two games, the, the Nets have looked like the better team. I, I still think, I still think there's a little caution around like how much better they've been. Clearly they killed them uh, in the first game, in the first two games. This is why I'm just sort of maintaining a little bit of sense of um, <laughs> hesitancy around front running <laughs> on the series being over yet because it's clearly, it's clearly not. I think that there's going to be there's still um, you know a fight to be had here, and that's uh, I, I just don't I don't think the Bucks are just going to roll over. Giannis is too good and too competitive. I mean, for all of his problems, Coach Bud, um, he's still a good coach. This, they still have Drew Holiday. They still have Chris Middleton. Still have Brooke Lopez. I mean, this is still a very good team. I, they're going back into the home into the home court. I don't think we're just going to. It's just not the group that's going to roll over. Like that's just not like I, I maybe maybe there's no professional group that's really like this, um, but this specifically in terms of competitiveness, while the Bucks have had their playoff struggles in the past, and playoff struggles I mean like getting to the mountaintop, right? Like they're not they have no problem getting to the playoffs. They're a really good team. It's just they've seemed a year over year struggle at this exact same spot for sort of the exact same reasons. Um, for both for those reasons, I don't think we're going to see. We're just going to see. I think we're going to very much see a team that's uh, that's ready to go tonight. And so, yeah, um, yeah. you don't go. go and get Holiday and bring in PJ Tucker. Like th- these are these are high character guys. I think uh, Sportsman of the Year was you know Drew Holiday. Like, this is a guy that, that that plays the game the right way, competitive, all those cliche things. But I don't see them. You know, oddly enough, uh, you know, I'm mentioning the the Phoenix series, it's like the Denver Nuggets. You lose Murray and whether or not you should still be more competitive or that it's surprising or shocking that you lost the way you did in these couple of games and the way that it's looked for Phoenix. But there, there is a built-in thing of, hey, our second best player isn't here. That makes it really hard for us. Mentally, we can start to feel a little defeated about it. If you're the Bucks, you look at your team and you go, hey, this is us. I mean, you, know, you lost DiVincenzo, sure, but we've got all of our best players here. We are an incredibly talented team. Like everybody there is at the top of their game or at the top of their role. When you talk about a Tucker, there's no reason why these guys feel like losing two games that, yeah, but unfortunately Giannis went down. Okay. We can pack it in or Middleton or, or holiday. It's almost to that extent. We talk about the first two games. It's like when Harden goes down in game one and we heard quotes post game from Kevin Durant of just like, yeah, it takes a minute to adjust. And then you got to pivot and get relocked in and know that there's a game to play. And it's important even more so. And we talked about that, that you go out and win that game because that's stealing a game when you feel like you've lost one of your best players. Milwaukee doesn't have that, you know, quote excuse if anything, the Nets could have been flat that first game and deflated. Instead, the Nets seem to be playing with a sense of urgency you might think Milwaukee would bring when you see Harden go down. This is where you need to attack and steal a game on the road, and instead they're flat, and, and we'll see what they do now back in front of their home crowd. Yep, we're going to talk about um, some of the injury stuff here in a second, talk about the Harden thing. I mean, not too much to report, uh, but we'll talk about where the Nets stand with maybe getting some of these guys back. First, got to talk to you about Stat Hero. 85% of people who play daily fantasy sports lose. That's a, that's a stat. I mean, that, this, is, this is the truth. Daily fantasy sports can be hard. The game feels like it can just be up against you. You're playing against thousands of lineups and other experts who have kind of consolidated power. They have tools over at DFSR, um, and you can be hard to stand a chance, but introducing Stat Hero. It's the first ever daily fantasy sports book that puts the player in control and winning within reach. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head fantasy matchup. 
You name your stakes, winner, take all. You have the advantage. Stat Hero is showing you their lineups ahead of time. No one else does that. You're in control. Stat Hero is why is, is the way DFS was meant to be one-on-one. Play Stat Hero now and change the odds. Go to stathero.com slash locked on. Sign up free, and right now you can get three times back on your first play. Three times. They're giving you a 300% match. That's Talk about numbers. Talk about stats. 300% match. Totally unheard of. Go to stathero.com slash locked on. Stathero.com slash locked on. And daily fantasy may be hard, but I tell you what's not. It's Bilt Bar. These things are delicious, chewy. They've got all the great flavors, none of that cardboardy texture that you see from some of these other protein bars. And when you're talking about flavors like coconut, cherry, raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, double chocolate, all the delicious flavors for you to go ahead and get yourself 17 grams of protein, only 130 carbs, only 4 grams of sugar, and just 4 grams of net carbs as well. You can head over to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your first order by using promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. You'll be getting all that delicious energy you need with none of that disgusting other brand taste. Now, uh, you mentioned the injury updates. I want to dive into it because I think we get get the uh, proverbial, you know, Standard line, I guess, from Steve Nash when we talk about uh, you know, on Wednesday talks with reporters around James Harden. And we didn't think I don't think we had high expectations, especially we said after going up 2-0, it affords you the ability to be a little bit more cautious with not only James Harden, but Jeff Green as well that we'll get to. Uh, but Nash told reporters that Harden is, quote, progressing nicely. We're optimistic that we can have him back at some point, but we can't we can't set a timeline yet. Ah, yep. Brooklyn Nets. Gotta, gotta, gotta <laughs> love the specifically unspecific responses to these questions. Yeah, this is just par for the course. I mean, we kind of knew this was going to be the case with these kind of injuries. This is how they rolled through the entire season with injuries, specifically this exact injury with Harden, where you never knew it was coming back, and it was a week, and then it was two weeks, and it's three weeks, and it's like, okay, um, or is even more? I think it was like six weeks or something. But the um, this is not you couldn't expect them to get hyper specific around timelines around injury starting now, right? <laughs> like this is uh, there's no reason to have expected that. So I, if we just use the if we just use the proxy of what happened earlier in the season, it's hard to imagine him coming back at all, frankly, <laughs> right? Like um, I'm not. I'm, that's just that's not a source thing. That's just saying that he had this exact injury before and it kept him out for longer than the playoffs would have lasted since he went down right so um I think the Nets are probably preparing for an extended time without him considering how quickly he got hurt in that first game uh it's been encouraging that they've been they've looked no worse for wear without him but again at the same time like we talked with Kane Pittman yesterday um there's no world where you can even though the Nets have played really, really well, there's no world where you can say, "Oh, they're better without James Harden," right? Like that's just not. Huh. They've been very good with. They've been very good without James Harden, but there, there's no, no team has James Harden and then doesn't have him with. We're not, you know, short of a trade for another superstar and gets better. It's just not. It's not possible. So, um, he's still Rockets devastating to that, right? <laughs> yeah, well, they, yeah. things did not get better. I'm not trying to troll them, but but I think to prove you're like you know you don't take the sample size of two games where things have gone really well for Brooklyn and they've beaten the Bucks is not is not the sample size where to your point you go 
Yeah, listen, maybe James Harden. I don't know. Off-season trade for Brooklyn. Maybe they get a better piece. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say for sure what they should do. So I just, yeah, there. You you know that the Nets are better with him, and the fact that they survived and thrived these first two games is is what makes it possible for them to say, hey, we're going to wait and see with him. Because, and they even talked about the regular season injury that theoretically he could have come back much sooner from that if they had needed him. If, if the timelines had shifted and it had already been the postseason and they were getting to the playoffs, Harden probably could have got himself back on the court. It doesn't mean 21 games, okay, 14 games, whatever it may have been. If they had to force him into action, he could. They're afforded the luxury of not having to do that. And, you know, today when we talk about the road to the finals on our NBA playoffs, the coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. And it's only worth it if you enjoy it. At 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more, including one of the things that I have been enjoying in this series is from a coaching perspective. So, but you know, before we get to Steve Nash and, and some of these ponderings that I've been having around how people look at him, looked at him in the regular season versus maybe the way things are shifting as this series progresses. I will just throw in that also Jeff Green, he's day-to-day also progressing nicely. But one of the other quotes, too, I just think that you lump in Harden and Jeff Green into the same category. And we've talked so much about Green's value and importance to this team all year. When asked about being out and coming back, he said, I hate being out. Like James always says, he always takes pride in being available for his teammates, and I'm the same way. It's painful being out, not even going out there, helping, helping, scoring. It's about just being out there, being present to do whatever I can do to help the team. That's why you see me on the sidelines, up every play, trying to be a voice from the sideline, but not physically being out there is tough. It's hard. Like, I, I you know. Does that come off? Are those cliche statements? Maybe. But if you watch this team and you've watched Jeff Green, that's about as honest as you can get from him because you saw that all season long. He has been a vocal leader, a vocal veteran leader on this team. And even if he is hurt, if you've watched these first two games, you have seen him on the sidelines. He's as involved as you can be in it, talking and communicating. So there is that piece of it, too, where I think how engaged these these stars in Harden or role players in green, how engaged they stay with the team is also important because you can still you can still make an impact if you're James Harden from the sidelines. Because if you think that he can't be telling Mike James or Bruce Brown or whoever, you know, is going to get these minute fills at guard positions in his place, if you think that he doesn't see things that they don't, you're you're kidding yourself. There's a reason why he's as good as he is. It's beyond the skill set. It's also the basketball IQ. So it's important that these guys are around the team as well and like you say, uh, you know, we won't get any real updates until we see them physically on the court, but hopefully it is sooner than later. And maybe if we're lucky, there's there's no need to push them even in this series. Yeah, it's a testament to how much the team is bought in around each other. I think that's very clear. It's down to every single guy has been like this. And the Jeff Green things and is a good example of, you know, seeing him on the sidelines and knowing he's dying to play and knowing that the Nets really actually need him. You know, we go into the series. I know they won the first two games and that's still really need Jeff Green. <laughs> like this is the series, even if they were to get past the Bucks here, I mean, the playoffs aren't over. Like they need these guys back in, in some fashion, right? It's like, I think the Nets, I, you know, there's a, there's a tendency to start thinking, oh, they're playing so well that Harden, They've won these two games, and this isn't the championship this round, right? Like this is just another step right. along the way. I think I think there's been sort of a, I don't think people are forgetting that, but it's been so uplifting to see how well the team's played over these two games that you kind of forget. Like I, I think you tweeted it the other day. It was like, hey, that's you know, 
that's uh, it was like six down, but there's more. There's still ten to go here, right? <laughs> like yeah. this is this is not even what's really resonating gonna... with the fan base. Well, I was like, yeah, They're like don't forget, friends, we've got a lot to do here before it's yeah, raise the banner, mission accomplished. Right, exactly. Like not even halfway here, and if 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 the goal is a championship, which if you look at it that way, you're thinking, oh, okay, there's a, you know, I can't really get, I can get excited here, but I can't get too crazy because. Again, if the goal is championship, I think at this point, especially with how the Nets have played in the playoffs, that has to be continued to be the goal. It's funny because like I think some teams are probably starting to reset their or recalibrate where they are here. Like I think I, there's a, I have a feeling Denver might be recalibrating like what the ceiling is. Right, Milwaukee might be recalibrating what the ceiling is in terms of yeah. um, you know where they are in terms of trajectory. The Nets clearly aren't in that. They're not in that mode right now, and so. When we talk about James Harden being hurt, we talk about Jeff Green being hurt. Yeah, it's um, it's like a one you know per game. You want them per game, but you have to look long game here. Like at some point, these guys, I still think the Nets cannot be considered the favorites to win the championship. If these, if you know, I mean specifically Harden, but like if they both don't come back, for as well as they've played over these first these these two games without them. Um, I, I do not think that they can be considered the favorites. I think that's just a realistic take. You can at me if I, you think I'm wrong and I'm being too pessimistic. I, I just, I think at some point, I mean, Katie is the best in the world. I clearly he's, uh, and maybe, maybe I'm underrating how, how great he is because he's been so, so great over these first two games. Uh, and really just the playoffs in general, but, um, you don't just consolidate your team around, you know, basically seven players that you're going to play and then lose two of them and continue to be the favorite, right? Like that's just that math is a really hard, <laughs> it's a really hard one to to reconcile. So I think when it comes to injuries, we still really need to monitor these situations. Um, this is something that we we greatly hope that these guys come back at some point. Um, and 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 I hope it's not. And I, frankly, I hope it's not too early. I don't think the Nets would do it, but um, you know, you mentioned oh, you know, during the season with Harden, they could have brought him back. But they didn't because it wasn't like too necessary. We saw what happened with um, with AD Anthony Davis in LA when they mm-hmm. brought him back too early on the groin thing, and it was just a total mess. Right? It was like well, it, it was. It, it, and to your point, no, to your point about you talk about like Denver or Milwaukee or any any team that's recalibrating expectations and what they think is possible. Again, some teams are missing players that that have no chance of coming back in this postseason. But if you're the Nets, to your point, well. If, you, if you're Denver and you thought, we can win a championship this year, but now you're at a place against Phoenix where you go, well, we're gonna, we'll throw anything that we can do now just to try to get out of this series. That is the new calibrated adjustment. If it, if it costs us, so put the Nets in those shoes. If they were down 0-2 right now and Harden had missed the first two games, Harden would be back but maybe for game three if it was physically possible because guess what? The goal now is to find a way to get out of this round and we'll live with the results down the road. You know, if it, Okay, borrowed time, fine, but we need to get out of this series and then you, you figure out what's next. Now because the Nets are up in this and because they still have those same expectations of winning a championship and the expectations of Harden being able to come back and Green being able to come back, now it's saying, okay, if we can get now, we can maybe get by on this series and then see when it's most needed to get them back. And to your point, that's where I think the onus is going to come in. It's going to be about when do we absolutely feel like it's necessary for Harden to be back on the court? Are we going to if he if he doesn't play this entire series, will we say he has to be back game one against let's Philly or or Atlanta, however that series works out? Maybe not. It, it depends on how it goes. The Nets may look at it and say, we could still afford to see what happens to start a, a, a third round series, a conference final series, 
before we make a choice on that. Other teams don't have that luxury. The the Bucks don't have that luxury. Whatever they're gonna, whatever bag of tricks they want to reach into, you've got to be throwing absolutely everything at it. And I'm maybe I'm not shocked coming off of that, you know, out of that game too, that nothing terribly different occurred for the Bucks because you try to stay the course. But I, I it feels like when you lose that game one, you want to start not panicking. Start throwing some start throwing some kitchen sink items. If not the whole kitchen sink, some piping, the faucet, a couple of knobs, and then see what else you can grab. Because you should be getting closer to panic mode if you're the Bucks. Whereas for the Nets, you're just steady as you go right now. You don't have to push the panic button around Harden until the moment when you need to. Yeah, completely. Um, and that's where they've afforded themselves a nice little sort of buffer zone here. All right, got a little more to talk about. First, going to talk to you about Lucy. Lucy's a nicotine company founded by Caltech scientists. Love the science here. And former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. Researched and developed for three years to be made for people, not patients. Lucy has created a nicotine gum. With four milligrams of nicotine that come in three flavors. Here you go. Winter green. Love it. With cinnamon on it. Pomegranate. A little fruit flavor there. Also has lozenges with four milligrams of nicotine that come in three flavors. Cherry, ice, citrus, and mint. They're FSA and HSA eligible. So you can use those FSA cards to purchase Lucy. Now it's convenient and discreet. Products can be enjoyed from anywhere. Flights, work, on the go. Even in the gym, if you have someone in your life who uses nicotine, you got to put them on. Lucy, it's 2021. Get rid of your cigarettes, unplug your vape, throw out your dip, and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. They're the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month. It's so simple. You don't have to leave your house because Lucy has delivery down. Locked on NBA listeners, go to Lucy.com. Co. Lucy.co and use promo code Locked On NBA to get 20% off all products in your first order, including gum or lozenges. That's Lucy, Lucy.co and use promo code Locked On NBA at checkout. Also, have to give this disclaimer warning this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Lucy.co and be sure to use that promo code Locked On NBA. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Coaching, Doug. Let's talk about it. Away from the court, technically speaking, uh, it's interesting that I just, I got to cast my mind back here. When the coaching staff was comprised for the Brooklyn Nets and we we talked about the connection with, a, with Mike D'Antoni and he was coming off of his last coaching opportunity and, and we kind of said, yeah, this can just kind of be his legacy almost. Come to Brooklyn and and help build out this roster and support your former player and Steve Nash, and, and that'll be an extra little feather in your coaching career cap. But he actually, he's getting some buzz around a lot of the job openings here. This is very, very quickly. When I heard the possibility of him going to Portland as being just one of these names being thrown out there, and I think he's mentioned even in Boston, I think he's mentioned for most openings now, but when they mentioned Portland, and I thought about Dame Lillard and trying to keep him there, I immediately thought about, the impact of Dan Tony and what he would want to run and Dame Lillard like a James Harden, like the time in Houston. And that just seems like, man, Dan Tony maybe could have a whole other chapter hit to his 
head coaching career here if something like that were to come to pass. Yeah, uh, that's interesting because I don't actually don't see. Huh, I think I kind of disagree. I, I think that I don't see Dame to be like a, sort of in the same mold as those guys that he had a lot of success with, like Harden and Nash. Like he's a great scorer uh, for sure, but he's not like he's not like the same kind of playmaker. He's really not a playmaker. He's just a scorer. Like those other guys are playmakers, right? They can sort of like make other t- players better, and they can. Um, there's a lot of facilitation going on, like great court sense. I don't see Dame as that kind of same guy. Again, it sounds like I'm digging Dame. I'm not. It's just like it's like how Harden and Kyrie are different, right? Like you, yeah. you can't run a Kyrie offense and a Harden offense on, on the same thing. Like Kyrie is a great scorer. He's never been a great facilitator. So yeah, I don't know. I still think D'Antoni's like an upgrade for. I think he's like an X's and O's upgrade for just about anybody. I'm just not. I'm not sure. I yeah, might disagree a little bit. I'm not sure. Like, I see right. those styles as like uh, as exactly the same. Um, I like the idea of like of just maybe getting a little of that influence, right? Trying to apply some of yeah. the things that we don't think about Dame with in that way. But, but well, they clearly need to change. They clearly yeah, need right, to change right. here. Yeah, let's put it that way. Do some maybe yeah, and, and and maybe that's to that point too. It's like Dame. Maybe you need to try to do something different, and a coach that would ask you to do something different. Are are you capable of that? Can you lean into that piece of it? Um, I mean, listen. That that being the case with D'Antoni, it's like it's an interesting footnote to a, a season where all season long we've kind of said, right, Steve Nash, and we've we've talked about sometimes some of the X's and O's or late games, out of timeouts, some of the hiccups that he had, and that happens with rookie head coaches. But all of a sudden in this series, you know, and I think you talked about this with Kane Pittman a little bit too, but it, you know, Coach Bud is is clearly the more experienced, the more seasoned yeah. head coach, and yet it looks like Steve Nash has been on the front foot of this series the whole time. There, there's there's a couple of little like adjustment questions that I that I maybe want to pose to you ahead of Game Three. But is that the sense that you got in talking? I mean, I'm sure that Kane Pittman spoke speaks to the idea of of the frustration of Coach Bud. But is it the the totality of this coaching staff for Steve Nash with D'Antoni and with Jacques Vaughn that that now that's coming out in the playoffs when it matters most? Or do you think that Steve Nash is also getting to that place now where he, he, he is now reaching his comfort level? He's hitting his stride almost at the same time that you want all the stars to be back and the you know the Nets to be hitting their rhythm, that maybe Nash is it's starting to click for him a little bit. Yeah, they clearly had a really good plan going into the series. And um, re-watching game uh, two... Uh, and parts of game one and then listening to you know reading some Matt Brooks who's great like you got to just you know this is a it's a team effort here when you're doing some analysis like you can walk around or you can go look at stuff yourself and then it's really just good to read the other guys like Matt Brooks is great listening to some other podcasts about sort of X's and O's stuff like you can sort of get a holistic view of what the Nets have done and that's what I spent the last couple of days doing um, and sort of just between all these things what you get a sense of is it's not just luck that this is that they've been able to win these first two games. There's been a, clearly a plan. We talked about this with having a plan on Giannis, right? The plan on Giannis, sag deep. We talked about this in the first two podcasts, sag deep, run um like sort of like run like a mini blitz at him. Um, it's like weird to call it a blitz because it's like in the paint, but run a mini blitz at him with a, with a second defender that flashes to him right away to stop the momentum. Make sure there's like this mini wall of just black shirts in, around the paint and make sure, and they force him into horrible shots. It totally worked. The shot selection has been terrible, right? That's all planned though. That's, that's just luck. Like you don't just walk out in the court and be like, Hey, you know, let's try this. Oh man, right look, now look what worked out accidentally. <laughs> yeah, like, like let's run down the court and, and try this. No, it's all that's all the plan. Like they have a very clear plan. The other thing that they've been doing is running off three point shooters, um, really really hard contests like Forbes and Middleton. Not as much Drew running off really hard contests on the three point line, but not being as aggressive when they're taking long twos. 
right? Like allowing the long twos to happen as much as possible. It all works together as part of the like the Giannis plan. It's like if you can pack the paint, if you can pack the paint, um, and you can. Um, and then you can really hard close out. This is actually one of the reasons it looks like the Nets are flying around on defense at times, right? Because they're flying around to try to cover the perimeter um, because they're trying to recover from like an interior position. So right. um, these things are all part of the coaching plan. And then on the offensive end, it's been attack Brook Lopez, right? Like it's been, um, you know, attack Brent Forbes when he's on the court. And those things aren't that that's like not crazy X's and O's stuff. Like that's kind of just obvious. <laughs> um, but or like. Or the idea, like if uh, PJ Tucker's on Kevin Durant, then like he's just free to do whatever because that's just not that's just a good matchup. I think these are all things that have been put in place as part of the coaching around guys who just really get it right. This is like there's a group of guys who really understand roles at this point, and it's so great because I know I'm going long winded here, but like I the we've been talking all year about you know, next man up, everyone in the role, right? The fact that they had so many injuries and so many dudes, we talked all year about this, about how we thought this might benefit them, right? That so many guys got playing time during the season because of the other injuries, that there was going to be a sense of when the playoffs started, it was it was going to be guys were going to feel comfortable in playoff minutes because they were mm-hmm. comfortable playing with the team. And man, has that just worked? Has that been? We were we pat ourselves on the back. We were totally correct about this, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> was, this was long, like we were a long-winded way to get to God. We're good. God, we are. Well, good. we were just one hundred percent correct. It was just. Yeah. It, it's, it's not like, and it's not rocket science. We're not, you know, reinventing the wheel on what it takes <laughs> to be a good NBA player. If you get to play a lot, you're going to be more comfortable. I get it, but we're seeing it bear out now, where these guys are coming in and they feel very comfortable. They feel very comfortable with what their role is. They feel very comfortable with the scheme. They feel they feel comfortable leaning into the things that they do very well right like Blake's like I need to do these five things Bruce Brown's like I need to do these five things sham it too like I need to hit open threes right and I need to kind of like blitz the perimeter on defense like this is everyone understands the exact thing they need to do and that is all this is my long answer to say this is coaching <laughs> like that is that is right. coaching it's, it could be easy to look at the players and say oh this is your player personnel and they just kind of get it well, yeah, that's just it's some case, like some degree the case, but it's not the whole thing. You need to have a system in place, and I think for as much as we were worried early in the year that the system wasn't that um, obvious, I think there's yeah. a very, I think there's very core beliefs that are happening here, and very specific, like, hey, we need to do these five things right away against this Bucks team, and this is how we're going to give our chance to win, and that that's all top down coaching. Well, that that feels like a lot of the, I think the, the the phrase around the Brooklyn Nets through these playoffs now has been they have defensive and offensive principles. We don't necessarily run a lot of sets, but we have mm-hmm. the principles that we want to have, and that's most important for the role players in support of the stars. And it's what allows for all these guys to be ready to step in. The can I the say one thing qu- about that real quick? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I want to say something about the principles. It, it's actually funny about that. I hadn't thought about this till right now until you said it, and I've heard that term being thrown around, especially on offense. The idea behind a principle compared to a set is much harder to defend. If you have basic principles that you're supposed to run and you kind of understand, then that can be impossible to defend because you can't sort of game plan for what's coming. Right? So the principles are going to be what like the set is, right? Exactly. Like Milwaukee has core sets and plays that they run. The Nets have identified them and stopped them, right? And and you can see Milwaukee having a very hard time adjusting. Right, because like now that the plays that they run over and over don't work. By the way, this is every single year with this team, so it's like not like a new thing with the Bucks. <laughs> right. But uh, they also um, have three years of footage on this. To, 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 yeah, to go just, it, it just literally happens every single year. Like they run the same plays all year. They kind of have the same personnel. They get into the playoffs. They a team figures out what to kind of do to slow it down. 
and they look totally lost. It's happened every single year on lock. It's why they lost the series that they lost. Um, but if you run your offense off principles, um, which is to say, like, hey, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep screening and rescreening. We're gonna we're gonna pick out mismatches. We're going to pick and roll someone to death if they have like a bad defender. Um, if we if those things aren't going to work, we know we can get into ISO. Like they have lots of little things in their bag, and because they have guys like Durant and KD and Harden, you know what I mean? Like it's not it's not that's not all coaching. That's just because they just have singular talents that allow them to play within a confines of a principle rather than a scheme. Um, it makes you can't. It's hard to go like what you the opposing coaches go look at it and say, well, we can't like identify a single thing they're doing here. It's just kind of all working, and that is a very difficult thing to defend and plan against because it's not. It's 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 like you know defending. Oh, how are you going to defend the triangle? It's like well, the triangle is the the idea of like sixty interwoven ideas. You're like, okay, great. Well, I can't, I can't like, like well, and, I stopped and, and thirteen like, and, of the sixty. I just couldn't get the and, other forty seven. <laughs> Well, it's like a 60 interwoven, I'm making that number up, it's like 60 interwoven ideas and Michael Jordan's the guy that runs them all. You're like, okay, well, that's going to be pretty tough. (laughs) Like, I just don't know what I can really do. I don't know what I can do to plan it. It's like, it's not so dissimilar to what the Nets are doing here in that if you run a a thing off principles, then it's just going to be hopefully you have the horses to be able to keep up with it because otherwise scheming for it is going to be very difficult. Okay, very quickly before we get out the door, do you think that coming back home from Milwaukee, you know, do the Nets make... We're talking about coaching and being on the front foot of it. Do the Nets make a preemptive adjustment to some of these role players? Some people asked about who's going to pick up some minute shares in game two. I suggested, hey, listen, Tyler Johnson's a guy that's shown it this year. Good ball handling at the guard position, tenacious defense. Maybe he sees it. Didn't end up being Bruce Brown, and that's fine. But when I look across, it's... Will the Nets make something preemptive to show another new wrinkle to the Bucks if they're going to make an adjustment? And I just had this footnote curiosity around when I look at the Bucks and I think about Brooke Lopez and, and how he has worked or not worked in this series, I do look the comparison of going smaller. And I, I think about a guy like Bobby Portis. When you talk about Jeff Green not being on the floor and you think about Blake Griffin, I, I, almost, I in my mind, I wonder why aren't the Bucks maybe trying to utilize a guy that is a different look has been able to knock down perimeter shots with consistency, you know, a little more fluidity. Like, I think that that would be an athletic wrinkle to put back to the Nets here in this game as opposed to standing pat. Is is Bud going to make a drastic adjustment, or are the Nets just going to be able to, you know, go out and say, we'll do it again for you. This is game three, same exact thing. Can you do it? Because that feels like the choice of, we'll go at it one more time, and we'll, we'll, we'll chalk it up to, they figured it out finally, or... Do you try to stay ahead of the Bucks and continue to throw a new look at them? I don't think we'll see any starting lineup changes. I think we probably see the same rotations and that Claxton Shamit rotation. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we saw a little less Mike James in Game Two than Game Three. Some of that was blowout. Sorry, Game One to Game Two. Um, that was some of that was the blowout. I'd be shocked if the Bucks ran the same starting lineup again. I, I like I usually just have to move PJ Tucker out. He's given them nothing. So yeah. I, I think that like if PJ Tucker started. Oh man, this is like maybe over statement. But if PJ Tucker started I, again, I think you'd have to like think about that's the white flag before, getting waved almost. You'd lose before you'd lose Bud before Game Four. I, I just don't even know like what he's given. He's gotten torched by Durant and he's brought nothing else. Like it's just like yep. what is the point? So I think I th- I think you have to see their Connington with Kane and I talk about this. I talk about this after Game One, frankly. Like I said after Game yeah. One, the PJ. Yeah, we all we all looked and said out. that's not the the answer here. Yeah, like like this is like this is crazy. I, I don't like what, what's for what <laughs> you know. Like I just uh, whatever. I'm glad they did it. it just they steamrolled them again. But um, I I think I think you're gonna see 
adjustments there. I think they have to. I think you're, I think you see either Connington or Forbes move into the starting lineup. I don't think the Nets do too much different. I don't think either of those. I guess to your point, I don't think either of those moves would precipitate uh, a move by the Nets to make a change. I think that they right. can continue to run out the same personnel, and they're just going to have to work a little harder on the perimeter because uh, those are more shooters than defenders. All right, we're going to get out of here. We will be back after Game Three, obviously for tomorrow's podcast uh rate and view the podcast wherever you listen i gotta say real quick for all you that have been hopefully been clearly there's new people here because the numbers this is probably going to be the the best download week um in locked on nets history um i i I can't imagine it's not i mean last week was the best and the week before that was the best also so i think this is sort of the trajectory we're on (laughs) like each week sort of tops the, the last and i say that to say that i think we have a bunch of new listeners on and we're very appreciative of everyone who's jumped in here. Um, the numbers are beyond what we thought we would see in our first year doing this, and uh, and we're just really, really happy with it. So you can help the podcast totally free. Rate and review wherever you listen. Keep those numbers growing because uh, I know we love to see it. Absolutely appreciate all of the fans. And, hey, the journey continues tonight, my friends. Six of ten. Let's go get number seven. That quote is from yours truly, Adam Armbrecht. Oh, what are the great American poets? All right, we'll be back again tomorrow talking more Brooklyn Nets basketball. Locked On Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.